Former President Barack Obama visited the White House yesterday to revel in rose-colored nostalgia, while current President Joe Biden acquainted himself with the fake plants around the room. When asked by a reporter, Obama had this to say about the upcoming midterms. What do you tell Democrats worried about the midterms? We got a story to tell, just gotta tell it. That's the last thing you should do. You should not be telling your story. You should be hiding it. Now, it's true, they absolutely must tell a story, just not their story. Telling stories is their only path to avoid being run out of Washington. But you gotta be creative here. You know, gas prices aren't at a record high, we swear. They're just developing electric vehicles faster than anyone would have thought. Uh, there's not a surge of migrants heading for the border. No, of course not. It's just a gigantic group of new friends coming to party with us. And we're definitely not showing pornography to kids. No, we're not doing that. We're just getting them educated in human anatomy so they can all be rich doctors when they grow up. We're creating good jobs. And Joe Biden isn't an incoherent walking dementia case. No, no. Uh, okay, that one, that one's true. But still, vote for us. Stu does America. BlazeTV.com slash Stu is the place to go to get your Blaze TV subscription. Ten bucks off with the promo code Stu. Today we have Gothics on Woke Disney. Katanji Brown Jackson is confirmed. We're so excited. But we start by doing the Democrats' downfall. Is that what we're looking at in 2022? Is it? Kind of feels that way right now, but is it true? Today we're going to take our very first look at the 2022 midterm election in a serious way and kind of go through where we stand, what we're looking for right now, and what to expect going forward in the future. And I'm sort of torn about this time of year. This is one of the times of years uh, year that I really like. When we come to an election year, one of my gigs around this place, and it has been for a very long time, is to do sort of the election analysis and look at all the polls and look at all the fundamentals and try to figure out what's coming up next. And it's kind of like something I enjoy doing. It's a nerdy thing to do. Uh, it doesn't make me fun at parties, but it is fun to do. And it sometimes leads me into weird positions, like back in 2020, here I am, oh, sexy me, right in front of my board to predict what's gonna happen in the Trump versus Biden election. And if you zoom in, you see pretty clearly 306 to 232, Biden over Trump was my final prediction. You might remember the actual count, 306 to 232. Now, look, this did not make me happy. <laughs> <laughs> this is the problem with this stupid job. Sometimes I need to bring you bad news. Sometimes I think, you know what? Uh, everybody out here, we took tons of predictions before that election, uh, especially from conservative pundits. Most people thought it wasn't going to go that way. Uh, it unfortunately did. And now we're stuck with a dullard as president. Uh, but what are we looking at for 2022? What are we supposed to do here looking forward? What is the big story as we lead up to November. Now, this is very, very early. We don't know enough about this election yet. Too much can happen. Too much time is left. There's no way to know what's going on uh, yet. We don't even know all the candidates yet. Uh, we still have primaries to go through in many states. But I want to kind of take you through the story as it stands, at least right now. Um, Let's start off with why this matters, because here's the thing. No matter what happens here, Joe Biden or Kamala Harris, if Joe Biden decides to go, uh, I don't know, uh, console his son at some rehab facility, uh, one of them's going to be president here for the next couple of years. So there's not a lot of good that can come to, to pass. There's really no power for Republicans to do anything productive here. 
we're really not going to see anything positive in the next couple of years. What we can hope to do is stop as much of the negative as possible. And as we saw in the election that happened a few weeks uh, after the uh, the picture of uh, of the board we just showed you in January of 2021, we saw Georgia put two Democrats in the Senate. And because of that, we now have Katanji Brown Jackson. We now have all sorts of things that have passed. Trillions and trillions of dollars of spending have passed because of that. These things are really important. So the number one thing we need to do, of course, is to stop Joe Biden from doing the things that he wants to do. Why? Because those things are bad for the country. Not because we don't like Joe Biden, not because we are mean and we don't like the country, because we do like the country. And we want things that happen in this country to go the positive direction instead of the negative one, which seems to be the one Joe Biden favors. I don't know why, but he does seem to uh, to believe that. So why does it matter? First of all, the House, the 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 House matters for uh, a couple of reasons here. First of all, number one, you need to get the House because you want to block Joe Biden's uh, legislation. When he has a terrible idea to spend three or four trillion dollars, you want to make sure that you can stop that. And right now, Republicans really can't in most cases. Uh, Then you have investigations as well. A lot of that will go on through the House. Uh, On the other side, in the Senate, you, of course, also need that to try to block Biden legislation. You need one of these two to block a lot of that stuff. The other big one there is, of course, the Supreme Court. And uh, with that, other court uh, appointments. You know, right now, uh, 53 votes was enough to get Katanji Brown Jackson in. Do those three Republicans vote for a Democratic nominee if they don't have the Senate? I don't know. Does, is the hearing even happen? Uh, there's no real reason to believe it would. So blocking a Supreme Court justice, of course, one of the big things that the Senate can do. And that's one of the reasons why it's most important. So how do you think about these races overall? First of all, House control. How is this one figured out. This one has a really simple formula. And basically, the control of the House comes down to one big thing, which is the general vibe of the country. If the general vibe of the country is saying we don't want the president's party, which it usually seems to do in the first midterm after a president is elected, usually the House will switch hands or at least have major movement in the House toward the opposition party. The House, the House election is basically uh, you know, you're, you're, you're holding your finger up in the air and seeing which way the wind blows. Do people at this point, in this period, have a positive vibe for Republicans or a positive vibe for Democrats? And remember, there's 435 uh, races going on all at the same time in the House. So a lot of movement can happen really quickly. There are tons and tons and tons, probably 170 on each side that are pretty much locked in because they're they're very much bright blue districts or bright red districts. But that room in the middle really goes along with just the general vibe of the country and what people want. And I think people, when they look at these races, generally say, well, yeah, I mean, the Republicans are doing so well. Of course, they're going to take the House and of course, they're going to take the Senate. But the Senate is a more complicated formula than just the vibe of the country. Vibe of the country is part of it, but it also is pre-existing structure of that particular election year. Remember, senators only come up every six years. So 
Not everybody is running every single two-year election. Uh, there's only about a third of them are. And when that happens, you have to kind of sit back and you, you think, okay, uh, what is the structure going in? We're going to get into those details here in just a second. And also, the quality of the individual candidates is much more important in the Senate. There's not nearly as many races. They get a lot more focus uh, on them than do the House races. A lot more money gets launched into these races. And if you have a crappy candidate, or if you have a great candidate, you can turn these races around. If you are in a wave election year, in 2010, there were several examples of this on the Republican side. A wave election year for Republicans seemed like they were going to gain all these seats, and they did gain some. But they didn't gain as many as some people believe because a couple of the candidates the Republicans wind up, wound up getting through the primaries were not great general election candidates and wound up losing even in a very strong Republican year. That's going to be something we're going to watch very closely as we get closer uh, to November. Um, so let me give you the kind of state of uh, the playing field here. Right now, as you probably are aware, we are at a 50-50 Senate. If you watch the, uh, the Katanji Brown-Jackson hearings, this is one of the reasons why you didn't see the Republicans really go all out here. They believe they didn't have any chance to stop this from going through. And they were probably right on that. Uh, that doesn't mean you shouldn't be honest and tell the people uh, everything that you believe. Some people did that, I think, in the Senate. But generally speaking, Republicans made a political calculation here. They thought, look, we can act like we're nice. We can say, hey, we've got, uh, you know, it's a 50-50 Senate. We're not going to be able to stop this. So we might as well kind of just let this go through. We'll get into Katanji Brown-Jackson a little bit more later. But that's where we are right now. So where are we in the starting point for 2022 in the Senate. Remember, this is not all these races are not up for re-election. We're only going to see some of them. So the starting point is really important when you're looking at who is going to take control of the Senate in 2022. So far, this is locked in with nothing happening. There's no way the Democrats can do worse than 36 seats. That's where they are right now. Their starting point is 36. No chance for them to do worse outside of, you know, some unexpected retirement or something like that. But generally speaking, they can't do worse than 36 seats. On the other side, the Republicans can't do worse than 29 seats. So the structural advantage going into this election is 36-29 Democrats over Republicans. That's where we start all of this. And that kind of gives you a sense of Republicans have got to do some work here. They got to win some elections. They can't just trot through to the finish line here. They need to do really well in these elections to have a chance to control the Senate because they have more ground to make up. This hasn't been the case in, uh, in previous elections. The last couple have kind of favored Republicans. This is the Democrats' year. They've got a seven seat lead from the starting gates. Now, not every race is close, as you may know. When you have a race in Hawaii, you kind of know the Republican has no chance there. Now, you know, if you have in a bright red state, usually the Democrat has no chance. Some of these races are solid races that we can kind of project in advance are going to be controlled by one party or another. So let's go through those. The so solid races. Right now, Democrats look like they have about nine, nine solid seats in the Senate that they do have to defend or uh, capture. They have uh, something on the line here. It's not guaranteed, but they should cruise to victory in most of those states, if not all of those states. Nine for the Democrats. For the Republicans, however, there are 16, 16 solid seats for Democrats. So let's do some very 
advanced math here and add up the seats that we know are Republican and Democrats, plus the ones we're pretty sure on, the solid seats. And what we get to, I kid you not, Democrats 45, Republicans 45. Yes, after the shenanigans are played out on the fringes, we are basically looking at a a pretty well-assumed starting point of 45-45 before we get into really competitive races. So again, despite how bad you think Joe Biden is, and I agree with you, despite how terrible of a job you think the Democrats have done, and I agree with you, despite all of the CRT and the gender stuff and the, the sexual weirdness in schools and inflation and Afghanistan and the border and all of this stuff, the Democrats likely are not going to be anywhere south of 45 seats. Republicans are at 45 as well, but that's 45 that they can depend on. They need to win leaners and toss-up states to get up above 45. So again, this feels like a Republican year, but we really get into the final stretches of this election, contested seats. We are at 45 to 45. Now, We've got leaners. These are states that you'd say, okay, if gun to my head right now, I can make a call and I think I'd be right. However, too much can go down the line and we'll see how it goes. So the 2022 leaners, Democrats have but one, Colorado. Uh, It looks like they'll probably hold that seat, though. We don't know. You know, it's a leaner, but it's not a sure thing. On the Republican side, the Republicans have four here. That would be uh, Georgia, Missouri, Florida, and Ohio. To quickly kind of go through these, Ohio is an interesting one. There is, there is basically a five-way race for the Republican nomination there. Until that plays out, we really don't know for sure, though it is a right, uh, red trending state. And you could say if they pick a decent candidate there, there's a good chance that Republicans would hold it. Florida is Marco Rubio. I don't think there's much of a chance he loses that, uh, but it's possible. Missouri is an open state, uh, another red state. uh, And Georgia is an interesting one as well, where it is a Democratic senator. Raphael Warnock is the one who's up there, likely will be going up against Herschel Walker. I think in a red state uh, right now, like uh, Georgia's a purplish, certainly, as of course uh, we remember uh, 2020. But again, in this environment, a replacement level Republican should win this race. Herschel Walker, who I really like, seems like a really nice guy. He's been on the show. You know, there's been all sorts of stuff there. You know, the media is doing everything they can to, to take him down. If they are successful in that effort, it's possible Warnock holds on to that seat. But I think it leans to the Republicans. That gets us to uh, a total as of this point. Uh, Republicans or excuse me, Democrats have 46 uh, if you include leaners. Republicans are at 49 if you include leaners. That leaves us with five toss-ups. Now, I want to stop here for a second because toss-up races, obviously, self-explanatory, can go either way. And if you're kind of coming into this picture thinking, okay, this is going to be easy for the Republicans, Biden's so bad, everyone's going to remember this. And remember, even if they just win their leaners, they're only at 49. They still need to win two of the five toss-up states. We'll go through these quickly at this point. We don't know enough about these races to make predictions or anything like this, but this is just giving you a sense of what the playing field looks like right now. Uh, Five uh, toss-ups. Pennsylvania. 
we won. This is Pat Toomey's seat. He's retiring. Uh, and uh, it depends on who Dr. Oz is up there. Uh, there's a, a big uh, hedge fund guy uh, there as well who is leading the race at this point. So that one's going to be interesting. The primary going to be very important there. Wisconsin uh, is Ron Johnson. Uh, he should hold on to that. Uh, Wisconsin used to be a bluish state. It kind of went purple and is trending more on the red side, but still a toss up at this point. Nevada, uh, that's a uh, Cortez Masto, uh, the Democrat there trying to hold on to her uh, Senate seat. Arizona is Kelly. Now, Kelly, of course, the uh, former astronaut married to Gabby Giffords um, and uh, went in there uh, in 2020 when they had two Senate seats up at the same time. His is the first one coming up for election. Uh, that one is a toss up. And again, a state that is uh, generally speaking a red state. Remember, 2020 wasn't a wonderful environment for Republicans. And that was still a, a very, very close state uh, that wound up, as we would all remember, going blue uh, against uh, Donald Trump and two uh, Democrats winning uh, their election, um, of course, as well. Uh, two Democratic senators right now. That's not the norm for uh, for Arizona. And the last one is uh, New Hampshire, which is where Maggie Hassan is, and she's trying to keep uh, her seat there. So again, 49-46 with five toss-ups. Not a sure thing for Republicans at this point. We're going to watch all this very closely and keep you updated. This is one of many election preview shows we'll be doing. This is one of the things we do all the time on the show. If you're kind of joining us and maybe didn't watch much in 2022 or listen much in, or excuse, in 2020 or listen much in 2020, spend a lot of time going through the details here to try to, you know, suss all this stuff out. And, and last time we were on the money, uh, hopefully we can do that again. The truth, of course, is that projecting the Senate right now is a bit like projecting the 2023 NFL draft right now. Who freaking knows? <laughs> I, don't, I don't even know. Will, all, will there even be college football in 2023? Who knows? We don't even know what most of the candidates are in these races yet, for sure. Anything beyond the solid states right now is really a bit of a guess. If you combine it with state fundamentals, the climate of the election, the basic structure of what is possible and what is not, you can turn that guess into an educated guess, but that's basically where we are right now. But I want to think I want to make something very clear here. The Senate is not a sure thing. What we can be relatively confident of is a 45 45 tie with 10 seats to decide the entire thing. Republicans need to go at least six and four in those races to hold the Senate and be able to block horrible Supreme Court justices like Katanji Brown Jackson and much, much more. In the Senate, Republicans have to do more than just win their leaner states. They have to win some toss-ups, too, and that's not always easy. Picking the wrong candidate in the Ohio primary, for example, could be disastrous. There is not a lot of room for error. You can't throw one of these seats away. Now, normally in the midterm election, the president's party loses seats even in decent times. But this, this is not a normal election. It should be much, much worse than normal for Democrats. Biden, who was already on the wrong side of the biggest midterm wave election in a century back in 2010, there's some sort of coincidence here, he's now staring down the barrel of another electoral defeat that could make 2010 look like child's play. He is a walking catastrophe as a president. That we know. And just that should be enough for at least Republicans to win the House. But if we have learned one thing, over the years, to paraphrase former President Barack Obama, talking about Joe Biden back then, never, ever underestimate Republicans' ability to screw things up.
If you love the excitement of discovering new wines, but hate the risk of disappointment and you don't want to waste anything, you know, I understand how that can be. Well, First Leaf Wine Club is a no-brainer. First Leaf is a wine club that curates and ships wines that are personalized to your tastes, uh, allowing you to discover wines from five continents and 12 countries. When you rate the wine you receive, First Leaf learns more about your palate. And so you're not only being introduced to a ton of new wine, but each First Leaf box gets even better. And there's a fun little not-so-secret about First Leaf. They work directly with winemakers, which means you get an incredible wine for 60% off of retail, which is great. First Leaf is so confident you'll love the wine. They have a 100% satisfaction guarantee. If you receive a bottle and it's not exactly what you're hoping for, First Leaf will credit your account. If you love finding and tasting new wine, First Leaf is a no-brainer. You can join today. You'll get six bottles of wine for $29.95. I mean... That's uh, an incredible deal, plus free shipping. Go to firstleaf.com, or excuse me, tryfirstleaf.com slash stew. Tryfirstleaf.com slash stew. Get six bottles of wine for $29.95 and free shipping. Go there now, tryfirstleaf.com slash stew. Tryfirstleaf.com slash stew. I'm so happy to welcome back the one, the only Gothics back to the program. She's an incredible content creator. You can check out her stuff on her Gothics TV YouTube channel. Be sure to head over there and uh, give her a subscription when you get a second here. Gothics, how's it going? I'm doing great, Stu. How are you? Really well. Thanks for coming back on. I appreciate it. Thanks uh, for having me. You were on a while ago, and uh, you have a really incredible personal story. For people who aren't up on it, they don't know your journey over the past couple of years, can you give us a bite-sized version? Yeah, bite-sized version is I was a content creator on Twitch making video game content. And then after uh, getting canceled for my problematic opinions, I became a social commentator on YouTube. <laughs> it's, the, it's the journey of so many. Uh, you get canceled yeah. for doing something and then you wind up talking about it on YouTube a lot. This is great, though. We need these voices out there. As far as your particular cancellation, uh, you kind of had an uh, awakening that happened over uh, some time, right? I mean, you kind of saw the way the world was going and it just it kind of crinkled your brow and said, this doesn't seem right to me. Oh, yeah. It was little by little. And then I gradually started realizing something isn't right here. People are acting a little bit odd. And I didn't quite understand it until 2020 when the conversation shifted to everything is racist all of a sudden. Yeah, you know, it does seem to be that way. And we seem to have gone uh, across a line here where our priorities have changed, our goals have changed. I think for a long time, people thought the, the ideal situation that was difficult for humanity to achieve was to see past skin color and it not be uh, something that we thought about anymore. It was just, you know, people are people and you deal with them. You can like them or hate them based on the merit of their character. That's it, not skin color. We've reversed that. We've thrown the thing in reverse, going 60 miles an hour. The, the gears are making all sorts of loud noises in our cars. And we're all kind of watching this, I think, in horror, with the exception of the media. Oh, oh yeah, absolutely. And I'm someone that always says I am colorblind. And I remember one time I said that and people got upset when I said that. And I judge people based on the content of their character. And I think that if you hyper focus on skin color all the time, you're going to find that racism. And I think life is about just picking and choosing your battles. You're going to get discriminated against by someone for having ugly eyebrows. So <laughs> it, you can't get rid of it. I don't know if you're commenting specifically on my eyebrows, but if you 
are. I'm very disturbed by that gothics. I they hope. look beautiful. Okay, thank you very much. Um, uh, today is the day that Katanji Brown Jackson is uh, is uh, you know proved to go to the Supreme Court. The media is making a very big deal about how she's the first African American woman to be a Supreme Court justice, and there's that's great. However, the way that it happened. There are issues with this in that they, you know, Joe Biden came out and said before he looked at any of the candidates, I'm going to pick this candidate based on skin color and gender. Is that the way to heal the racial wounds of our country? No, absolutely not. It's it's exacerbating it. And this is very reminiscent to when I voted for Obama uh, because I wanted to help get the first black president in office. <laughs> and I had no idea what any of his policies or his values were. And I feel like this situation is the exact same thing. Is that how much how off, how much is that true with people? How often is it someone making their decision on who they're voting for, particularly younger people, just based on the the vibe, right? Like they they are excited about one specific characteristic of the person. They they maybe have one issue they're sort of passionate about, and that's it. I mean, are people making these sort of? I I, I like to imagine people making these well-rounded decisions based on policy, but that's just not reality, is it? I don't think that's realistic. And I realized that after I walked away from the left, I had my political awakening. I realized that a lot of people are emotional voters and don't really uh, dig into what the policies and values of that particular candidates are. And they're just basing it off of a superficial attribute, skin color, gender, sexuality. And I think that that is uh, wrong and very dangerous. Yeah, I I totally agree with you on this. Um, Let me switch gears a little bit to uh, Disney. We are seeing uh, sort of this uh, the rise of woke Disney, and uh, you know we we saw the the details of this uh, the the battle they're having in Florida now, where there is a bill that that is referred to constantly as the "Don't Say Gay" bill uh, that they oppose. And you know, look, they're a private company. If they want to oppose a bill, they can oppose a bill. Uh, but they are now trying to seemingly make their company into a political activist organization that is inserting these sorts of politics all throughout children's videos. And this is just a change I don't think we really need. No, it, it, and it's not. They're saying it's because of inclusion and diversity and all that stuff. I don't think it is, because if it were, uh, they would think twice about bringing Disney Plus to Saudi Arabia, where they treat homosexuals very poorly. Uh, so I think that this is just, uh, in my opinion, it's indoctrination. Uh, it's a power grab. And uh, yeah, I, I think that they're lying uh, in terms of what they actually are intending to do. I don't think it has anything to do about inclusion and education. I, I go back and forth on Disney a little bit here because you know I think there's two sorts of companies when you think of this sort of woke away this awakening awakening if you will um, uh, of all these major corporations there are some that are legitimately ideological companies right like there are some companies they sell outdoor gear and they're just super environmentalists or uh, you know like Ben and Jerry's is a super ideological company they are they're left-wing they're very open about that Disney I don't know what to think about them because you're, as you point out, a company that is super ideological about protecting uh, gay people is not trying to expand in Saudi Arabia and make money from Oman, right? This is, are they just out there to make money and they think this is the best way to do it in America? Yeah, I think it's all about money. I don't think they actually care about what they're saying they care about. Uh, yeah, I think it's just money, but it comes down to it. Mm. Um, I see this often when these companies sort of try to do this stuff. You see their employees, generally speaking, younger employees who have this idea of when they go to work, 
they're not there necessarily just to do the job. Their company should be aligned with them politically. They, they should be a- a- activists in the same way that they are activists. I don't know. I mean, I, I may be very old school in this way, but unless you're going to a company that is ideological, I work for the Blaze, like, right? We have an obvious point of view here. I know that that's my job to come in here and run my mouth about politics, but like, if you're working at a place that that, that is not your job, d- does this have to be part of a workday for, for everybody? And is this the type of thing we're going to see more of where, you know, younger employees are trying to run the company into the ground because they want their politics represented? Yeah, this is a new thing, and I don't think you're old school by uh, going that route because that's just how I am. If I'm there to do a job, I'm going to do that job. If I go someplace to work and I'm worried about activism or what's happening on the news, then I'm not doing my job. And personally, if I was the owner of these companies, I would fire them. I see. I I love this take. And I think more companies should be willing to just say, look, if you don't like it here, get out. It's okay. We can part as friends. You can go be an activist. But if you want to work here, you need to come here for work. Right. Yeah, absolutely. It's really amazing. Coinbase is one of these organizations um, that that kind of went down this road and they said, hey, we uh, you know, we're a cryptocurrency company and we sell cryptocurrency. And what we don't do is get out in the streets and protest when we're supposed to be at working hours. You want to go do that, you go do it on your own. If there's a cryptocurrency issue that's in the news, we may have a position on it. But that's it. And I just feel like that that at this point is sort of lost uh, among people where they feel like work life has to be their whole life. It's not. It's just supposed to be a small slice of it. Right, exactly. And I think that people, uh, when they take their activism with them to work, I think they need to come to the decision, which is more important to you, activism or paying your rent? And in my opinion, (laughs) being at this job, it would be paying my rent. Yes, it it is true. Uh, One more before I let you go. Uh, BLM, uh, Black Lives Matter, has uh, they've just been revealed that they apparently bought a six million dollar mansion with with donation money, which I, I guess they're trying to say. They wanted to have a safe place for people in the community, which I mean, I bet a six million dollar house is very safe. It usually would be Uh, this organization has, I think, taken, you know, uh, parts of what is a really laudable goal and manipulated it and run it through a, a political cycle to where it has no more value left. Right. And well, first things first, I think BLM was intended to be divisive from the get. I don't think they ever had good intentions. Uh, And it's funny that you mentioned this mansion thing, because I just got a private message from an old friend that said, you were right. Uh, This look at what they're doing with all of this money. They're just buying up mansions. And this is what I tell people. It's like, pay attention to what people say, but then watch what they do. You can usually tell if something's a scam just by looking at their behavior. Yeah. And especially with BLM, you saw right off the Right out of the shoot, you look at their website. I mean, they specifically were saying we are a Marxist organization. We're trained Marxists. Our goal is to get rid of the nuclear family. All these things that were on their website right at the beginning. Companies couldn't help themselves but throw billions of dollars at organizations like this. Uh, the, uh, how did we think this was going to turn out? I mean, this, this can't be shocking to anybody. 
You know what the problem is, is I think a lot of companies don't want to get left behind and they want to jump on that bandwagon of being inclusive and fighting for positive change. And I think uh, they just see dollar signs in their eyes that they don't stop to actually look at the facts. And this is the result of that. And I think BLM is going to go down as one of the largest political scams in history. <laughs> I think you're right. There's a lot more to be written on this story. Uh, well, we need more people like Gothics, uh, people who are willing to question uh, everything that they see and, and and, and look at it honestly uh, from the beginning. Gothics, you can check out her stuff at uh, her Gothics TV YouTube channel. Make sure you subscribe there. Head on over and do that. Gothics, thanks, uh, thanks so much for coming back on the program. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. You have a good one. Yeah. Trying to buy or sell a home in these times can be challenging. Let's say you have a $6 million home that you maybe stole some donation money to, to buy. And you're thinking to yourself, I should unload this thing right now before we go to prison. Well, you should call realestateagentsitrust.com to get the best real estate agent in your area because you're going to need a lot of that money for lawyers and uh, all sorts of things in your future because that's coming probably pretty soon. Realestateagentsitrust.com is a company that Glenn Beck started many years ago to make sure that you could find the best agents in your area. You can get screened uh, real estate agents that can help you do the job. I got to be honest with you, if you are trying to unload your $6 million BLM house, probably realestateagentsitrust.com. You're going to go on there and they're going to be like, I know someone else you should call. But if you happen to be maybe trying to buy that home from BLM, realestateagentsitrust.com is the place to go. Realestateagentsitrust.com. Check it out now. Realestateagentsitrust.com. Well, celebrate everyone. We have a brand new Supreme Court justice. She's the first black female who's ever been a Supreme Court justice. Aren't you excited about her skin color and her private parts? I know I am. And so we have a brand new Supreme Court justice and her name is... Ketanji Brown Jackson. She is for real. Never had a justice quite like her. She's a former public defender. Ketanji Brown Jackson. People hate me when I, when I play that thing. But that's the only way you're ever going to even remember uh, her fantastic uh, name, Katanji Brown-Jackson. Every time you say it, you're going to hear, ooh. It's true. Uh, she's the first uh, Supreme Court justice uh, that is black and female. And other than that, apparently no one knows anything about her. <laughs> you're not allowed to ask her any questions about her judicial philosophy. You're only supposed to just honor her skin color and her gender. And that's what America is all about, judging people based on their gender and the color of their skin. What a wonderful, you know, when they say progressive, I now see what they mean. We've, prog we've progressed so far past those old hangups we had. And now we can just pick people based on immutable characteristics. What a wonderful turn of events. I think we can all be very excited about that. Is Katanji Brown Jackson the most qualified person for the job? Well, no, she's an insane liberal. and She's going to be a terrible Supreme Court justice. But considering it's Joe Biden picking, we expect that to be the case, don't we? We expect Katanji Brown Jackson to, uh, to, uh, to walk into a slot that is going to be filled by a liberal. However, we will never know if Katanji Brown Jackson is the most qualified person, even on the left, because almost all of the people on the left that were also qualified were not considered. They were eliminated based on the pigment of their skin and their genitals. So there you go. Now, of course, I say genitals, but who the hell knows? How do you define a woman anyway? I don't know. Who could know? 
I'm not a biologist. Are you a biologist? And by the way, it's wrong to even suggest that a bio biologist could know because we all know that a biologist has no idea what a woman is either. So we can move past that. Uh, by the way, you, uh, but did I mention that this whole Biden presidency thing is going really well? It really is. Uh, North Korea might hold a nuclear test next week. That's, uh, that's good to hear. Kind of, they kind of skipped out on that one for a few years, like around four. And then here they are, back in effect. The border is a complete catastrophe, been a complete catastrophe since day one when Joe Biden walked into office. But it's about to get much, much worse. May 23rd is the big day. And write it down on your calendars, boys and girls, because on May 23rd, they're going to lift Title 42. Title 42 is a, uh, it was basically an anti-COVID measure that the, the Trump administration used to stop people flowing across the border when we had infectious disease and a pandemic going on. Now, of course, we don't have a pandemic going on, I don't think anymore, at least for most people. So open up the borders completely. Keep your three-year-olds masked. Remember that. If you're three years old, you got to have a mask on at all times. But obviously, the, uh, the pandemic is over. We'll just open up the borders for everybody. Uh, Google has banned some apps with hidden data harvesting software. Now, this is a big story because Google likes to just tell you they're harvesting your data. Uh, but they're mad when you hide it. But they had a bunch. This is pretty interesting, actually. They had a... Um, a, a small company that kind of no one knows about that supposedly works with defense contractors that was mining data and sending it back to Panama uh, for who knows what uh, purpose. And it was a pretty, a pretty interesting thing that they that a couple of uh, 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 computer scientists kind of dug up in the code as they were looking through this and said, hey, wait a minute. What's going on here? To the point where they say that they could read the notes on your phone. So if you write your passwords in your notes and you think it's protected, they were doing, they were taking information off of there. Uh, we don't know what they were using it for. They say, of course, it was absolutely nothing. No big deal. Don't worry about it. Google banned all the apps that had this, these lines in their code. And this is something I actually kind of wasn't exactly aware that they were doing. You start an app up. You're about to put it out on the app store. And then some company comes to you and says, hey, can you insert these few lines into your code in your app? Has nothing to do with your app or what the function of it was. Some of them were like, you know, online Koran apps. You know what I mean? Like just you're reading the Koran if you're Muslim. Uh, and they just insert it in there and uh, maybe it monitors some stuff. Uh, and they get paid. The app developer gets paid for it. So kind of a shady part of the business. And that might be why, when you look at who trusts uh, tech companies most all around the world, the U.S. has the lowest amount of trust in tech companies. The number is 54% for the U.S., which is amazing. It's still above 50%. Canada at 59, UK, Germany, uh, Russia in the 60s. And the highest amount of trust for tech companies is China, which is very strange considering they have a social credit score system, though it may just be the case that they're worried that if they answer the poll question wrong, the scary drone will show up at their apartment complex. We showed it to you yesterday. Do we have the scary drone here? And if you couldn't understand that for some bizarre reason, what the drone is telling you is control your soul's thirst for freedom. That is really what the drone says. Again, control your soul's thirst for freedom. If there's ever been a more heartwarming message from a flying drone, I don't know what it would be.
You know, one thing I've noticed over the past couple of years is how well Biden's America seems to be operating right now, right on schedule. Um, We have uh, something, though, that can give us a little bit of hope. J.P. Morgan declared that alternatives are no longer optional when it comes to investing, and they're encouraging everyone to look outside of just stocks and bonds. They say one of the hottest markets uh, on Earth is an unexpected alternative, the world of fine art. It's great for diversification. Its returns have outpaced the S&P 500 by 164% for the last 25 years. And now art investing is no longer just for billionaires because, you know, I mean, not all of us can get a Hunter Biden original, you know. Uh, Masterworks, I don't think, has any Hunter Biden uh, uh, pictures for you to buy, but they have really, really uh, famous works of art, pieces of art that are worth, you know, tens of millions of dollars. You don't have to pay tens of millions of dollars, though. You can just take shares of this. It's a great way to get involved in this market without having to be Elon Musk. Uh, You can skip the uh, Masterworks wait list right now by going to masterworks.io slash stew, masterworks.io slash stew. They got all the regulation and disclosures up there at masterworks.io slash cd. If you want to check those out as well, make sure you understand what you're getting into here. It's a really interesting new world, though. Masterworks.io slash stew. Don't hide it. Sing it loud. Sing it proud. Subscribe to this podcast and rate and review this podcast as well. Five stars is the appropriate number of stars. Less than that would be dumb. So don't do that. Five stars. That's the right number of stars. This review comes in. It says, love the show. Give the man a raise. And that's a great point. In fact, it's the most important issue in our country right now. Me getting more money. Uh, It's the type of thing that all of us should be combining on, caring about, protesting in the streets over. And I do appreciate it. Thank you so much. Make sure you go to youtube.com as well. Slash stew does America there. You can get every show and you can comment on the shows as they go. Brian writes, it's funny how many people focus on things that make up less than 5% of our country. Electric vehicles, trans people, uh, focus on plastic bags and paper straws and pronouns. Why are we not focused on bigger and more important things like homelessness, border control, crime, actual infrastructure? The greatest country in the world, but what the F are we doing? It's very true. We do get into that uh, a little bit too much uh, from time to time. We try to talk about these issues a lot of times, and uh, like we got into, we've been doing shows since the beginning of this, talking about the spending and the debt, and it's like uh, the issue that conservatives have orphaned. <laughs> no one seems to care about it anymore, but I'm just going to keep talking about it, and I'm going to keep showing you new charts over and over and over again, because I think it's important. And I, you know, listen to your feedback. I, I need, you seem to appreciate that we actually stick on these issues, and we'll try to keep doing that uh, going forward as well. Also, uh, remember... Uh, it, there was a new Veep Thoughts moment today from Kamala Harris. Uh, we have more of these coming out. There's, a, I don't know, seven or eight of them already. There's so much material. If you have a Veep Thoughts moment, make sure to send it to us. We'd appreciate it at Stu Does America. And the new Veep Thoughts coming out tomorrow, veepthoughts.com. Okay, so here's what happened. We're used to in this country hearing stories about, you know, drug cartels robbing somebody and maybe thirty five hundred pounds of of stuff was taken and the street value. And we are kind of familiar with that story. This one's a little different. First of all, it's the Netherlands. So the story is a tad different. And secondly, it's not drugs. Um, It's cheese. A violent gang has stolen thirty five hundred pounds of cheese. 
worth $23,000 from a farm. Uh, cheese heists, this is really an article. Cheese heists tend to be on the rare side, at least in terms of large volumes, but they occur, occur worldwide. In 2016 in Wisconsin, about 160,000 pounds of cheese was stolen. What? This, is the, this stat will blow your mind. About 4% of cheese worldwide is stolen, making it the most stolen food on earth. Flipping the stolen cheese for resale value was described as the prime reason for thefts. Who's buying black market cheese? Are you buying black market cheese out there? Is that you? Are you the one going up to some guy on the corner with a wheel of cheddar and rolling down your window and giving him money out the way? Stop buying. Don't buy black market cheese. It's wrong. Boys and girls, I'm disappointed in you. No more stolen feta.